Well, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. This morning and this evening, we're going to do the last few verses of this. That will be us finished with Ephesians. And what I'm hoping to do is, uh, in the mornings, I want us to uh, go to a book in the Old Testament, uh, the greatest poem ever written, the book of Job. And uh, we're going to look at, well, what we're going to look at this morning, actually, in terms of prayer. Um, In the evenings, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians, which is really about encouragement to God's church, and that's actually what we're going to look this evening. So, the end of Ephesians is going to be a link into both these studies. Um, We read the words from uh, verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 6. It's on page 1177. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I think that we, maybe not you, but me, uh, I really, really struggle with this whole thing, uh, whole idea of prayer, and I keep learning more about it, but uh, in some ways, sometimes the hardest thing is to do it, but sometimes you just have to. Uh, Twenty years ago, pretty well today, uh, this building was not as it is just now, and myself and Annabelle and Andrew and Becky were here. Uh, Bill was here. Um, we hadn't quite got Connie yet, but uh, there was a handful of people here. I think Donald McLeod was here and Morag. And uh, it was run down. It was really depressed. Uh, that's putting it mildly. This building can seat about a thousand people, or it could then. And there was a handful that first Sunday. There was 15. Uh, and some of them were my family. So, it was pretty, pretty depressing. And somebody says, what are you going to do? What's your great plan? Well, I I never have a great plan. It just never, plans for me never ever work. And the only thing you could do is just say, Lord, help. What can we do in this place? It's empty. It's dead. It's so, you know, people are really, really, really struggling. Um, Who would come into a church like this? All we could do was pray. A year ago today, I was in hospital. I don't even think I was conscious of what was happening. But all that people could do was pray, and people did pray. And I think that there are many of us here who, although we struggle with prayer and we don't understand it in so many ways, it is we're here as an answer to prayer. So, I want us to take prayer really seriously. It's really important. That verse, uh, pray in the Spirit, we've been looking at the spiritual weapons that we're given as believers, and prayer is not just another weapon. Prayer is the the thing that binds everything together. There was an old gospel hymn. I can't even remember um, what it's called, but I remember one of the lines, put on the gospel armor, put on every bit with prayer. 
So when we've been reading about God's Word or the breastplate of righteousness or the shield of faith, then how we, we put those on is we put them on in prayer. What this is really, really saying is you cannot fight the battle on your own and you cannot fight the battle with being orthodox and correct in your theology if you don't pray. One of the worst things, there's lots of churches that's really, really depressing that they're spiritually dead because they don't teach the Word of God. We're what they would call liberal in theology, though I prefer the word poison uh, in terms of theology. But there are churches that are orthodox in terms of theology. They will tell you what the Bible says, but they never pray. And prayer is a real difficulty for them. We need the biblical understanding, the biblical theology, but we need it to be combined with prayer. Because a soldier who's in battle needs to be in touch with his commander. And if you, if you ever wanted to dispute that, why bother praying? Just look at Jesus. If you're a Christian, you follow Jesus. And what did he do? He prayed at his baptism. He prayed before and after works of healing. He prayed before choosing the apostles. He prayed after great achievements. He prayed at the transfiguration in the upper room in Gethsemane on the cross. And many of us here will say we are Christians. Some of you may say, well, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian or I'm not a Christian. And I want to say if you become a Christian, just a huge part of that is prayer. When I did my We Read book, I think I, I, one of the, the only hesitation I had in that was I didn't want the children to think that my prayers were special, that I was somehow this kind of super saint who if they came and asked me, I could intercede because I was closer to God than they are. That's not how it works. We, the prayers of the smallest child in this church are as valuable and uh, as important as the prayers of the oldest believer. When you become a Christian, we all have this access in terms of prayer, but I don't mean to, I'm not trying to put people on a guilt trip, but I ask myself, what part does prayer play in my life, not just in crises, but all the time? So, we're going to look at, uh, at this. Um, first of all, praying in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit on all kinds of occasions. What, let me say what this is not. First of all, it's not praying in tongues. Now, if you say, what is praying in tongues? Praying in tongues is the ability to speak, to pray in another language um, that you haven't learned that has been given to you by the Holy Spirit. There's all kinds of arguments that people have about it. I'm not going to get into all the arguments about it, um, but it was a gift within the New Testament. I personally cannot see where the New Testament says, right, no more but it is a gift given by the, by the Holy Spirit, and I think it's given in particular contexts for particular reasons. When Paul writes to the Ephesians, says, I want you to pray in the Spirit, he's not saying, I want you to pray in tongues. He says that when he writes to the Corinthians, he, wanted, uh, he said, I would that you, you could all pray in tongues. It was a gift from the Holy Spirit after all. But here, it's not particularly referring to that nor is it referring to our sincerity or our fervency or our spirit. So, I want you to be really spiritual in terms of prayer. Please be very careful with the use of the word spiritual. It's used a lot. I'm not a Christian. I'm spiritual. I'm into being spiritual. This is very spiritual. I can't find a single instance in the New Testament of the word 
Spirit being used in any other way than for the Holy Spirit, unless it's talking about a human soul. But in terms of when spiritual is used, it's speaking about the Holy Spirit. In Jude 20, you dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? It means that prayer is so difficult that we need God, the Holy Spirit, to help us to pray. The disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And He taught them, as we'll say at the end, the Lord's Prayer as as a pattern for prayer. But prayer is so hard, and it's so difficult, and it's so personal, and it's so intense, and it's so easy to be ritualistic and formalistic and everything else that we need the Holy Spirit. We don't just say prayers. You You sometimes can get enormous freedom in prayer and liberty in prayer. Sometimes I've gone into a prayer meeting and it's been like a church service, that five minutes seems like an eternity. It just seems to go on forever. And you look at your watch and you say, you're kidding. That's only five minutes. We've got another 50 to go. And then you feel really guilty. You don't feel really very spiritual. But occasionally, I've been in situations where I remember one occasion in particular where we started praying about nine o'clock at night and three o'clock in the morning. We said, well, what? thought it was five minutes. That's fantastic. And we hadn't fallen asleep and woken up. That's not what had happened. That, that's a great thing when that occurs. It's a great thing to get liberty in prayer. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It's useless. The Bible is useless without the Spirit. I think prayer is useless without the Spirit. The Spirit Romans 8, 26, up on the screen there. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That's actually quite a difficult passage to understand, but I think it's teaching two things. I think it's teaching just as Jesus intercedes for us, so the Spirit prays, because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is personal, And I think also it's teaching that as the Spirit interacts with our spirit, then um, He aids us in our prayers, even when it comes just to groaning. Annabelle told me that uh, when I I was in hospital and uh, things that I I don't really, really remember, but uh, when I would ask them to pray, sometimes she wouldn't know what to pray because it's such a desperate situation. What do we pray? And you groan. You groan and you cry. And you go, actually, and what we found particularly helpful was going to the prayers in the Bible, particularly the book of Psalms, which is really a book of prayers as well as songs. Uh, we were, that last psalm we sung, you, you should sing it as a prayer. Most of the psalms are prayers. And the Spirit gives us words in that sense. He gives us the words of the Bible to pray. But, but sometimes He just gives us burdens as well. Sometimes you, you, you are deeply conscious of, of your need to pray. And, and let me say this to you. If you're woken up in the middle of the night and you have a particular burden to pray for someone, do it. Just absolutely do it. Because it's, it's astonishing how God puts burdens on people uh, in terms of prayer. Prayer is to be spiritual. It is to be 
in the Spirit. But it's also to be full. He says here, uh, with all kinds, pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests. It's at all times. It's regularly and constantly. Luke 18 verse 1, Jesus told His disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. It's so easy to give up in prayer, and especially the kind of culture that you and I live in, we we ask for something and we expect to get it. We're actually, as a culture, I think, very, very, very immature. Consistency in prayer is actually very difficult for us. So, we'll pray and it doesn't happen. We say, oh, well, forget that. But we have to be persistent in prayer. How do we pray always? It doesn't mean that we're obviously constantly in a church service or constantly on our bended knee, but it means that an attitude of prayer is always part of where we are at. When you're driving a car, you're sitting in church, when you're cooking at home, when you're even watching television or in the cinema, there should be an attitude of prayer. We pray both in the secret place and in the open market. We pray with all kinds of prayer and supplications, many and varied forms, confession and worship and petition and intercession. The children, I would teach them, sorry, thank you, and please, public and private, prayer in spoken words, prayer internally, formal prayers, written prayers, informal cry prayers. I use a fantastic book called The Valley of of Vision, which has been, for me, just a tremendous help in uh, prayers that have been taken from the Puritans, and I've I've prayed one of them every morning. Uh, I don't know why. Annabel brought into me in hospital the Book of Common Prayer from the Anglican thing, written down prayers. Now, I was brought up good brethren, and written down prayers were of the devil, you know, but um, that book was brilliant for me, lying in hospital. I mean, some of it was rubbish, but not much, most of it was fantastic, and most of it, the, the prayer for the afflicted and for the suffering and so on, and even with all the these and thous and the wouldists and shouldists and all the other stuffs, it was just, it was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. So, if you're one of these people who say, oh, I don't need written prayer, I'm really charismatic, I just pray in the Spirit, I would say, grow up, get over yourself, and realize that you can read prayers as well. You don't have to read prayers, but they can be really, really helpful. Red prayers, spontaneous prayers, um, crying out to God in, in, in almost not being able to say anything in terms of the words. But it's there for us. We are to be alert. We are not to fall asleep. Matthew 26, be self-controlled and alert. Sorry, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter remembers that. Why? Because in Matthew 26, we read he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus said, be alert. And he didn't. He fell asleep. Peter, the apostle Peter, fell asleep. I've always felt incredibly relieved at that, that that sometimes as a, a Christian, I find prayer difficult. Sometimes I fall asleep. You know, you mean to pray, and I've never quite grasped all these people who can do 24-7 prayer, because I'm really looking to do 7-24. No, I, I would love to be able to do uh, 24-7 prayer. 
but you find yourself getting really tired and and falling asleep. And I think, well, with Peter, I'm in good company. Be self-controlled and alert. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. We have to be aware of the darkness of the age that we are in. And we pray, what should our response be to so many of the crises in our culture? What should our response be when we hear of, of so many difficult and hard situations? We pray. We should pray for our nation and for our culture. I think this has been reinforced to me uh, all more recently because of our fellowship group. Um, I thought this was great. John Cooper comes in and he brings in uh, the courier for the intellectuals and the tally for the not-so-intellectuals. And we split into two groups and we're each given the paper and we split the paper up and we each look for something in the bit of the paper that we've got to pray for in our group. And I thought, oh, John, for goodness sake, this is all your touchy-feely stuff and it's a bit, you know. But it's been brilliant. It's been really, really good. You look at something and you hear about uh, a drug dealer who's been uh, arrested in Fintry or whatever and you, you pray for that. You, 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 you read about people who've been in an accident, or you read about a whole load of job losses, whatever, in, the, in your own city. And it's just wonderful to be able to respond to the news by praying. Not just getting depressed, not just, oh, I can't cope with any more of this, but just praying, and praying for the city. And, and I think it's a wonderful thing to do in this city, to go up the law, and to just look over the city, and to pray for different parts of the city. Sometimes, instead of taking a bus or a car to work, just walking to work and just praying for the, the people who are around. Because the other thing he says here, we're to pray for all the saints. The Ephesians is about God's new society, God's community, God's church. We have to pray for all God's people. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We have for many years prayed for people in other countries. We do that because they're our family. We do that because God's people are united across the world. We do that because prayer is not about me as an individual and you as an individual. I am not the Christian version of Rambo, and neither are you. We have to be conscious of God's people everywhere and pray for God's people. Now, today, uh, hopefully you'll get to meet her soon, but we had a, this week we had a lovely lady visit us, uh, Maria, from Greece. And Maria is going to be moving here to work as a dentist uh, because, her, because of the crisis in Greece. Her husband came home one day and his wage as a teacher had been halved, just automatically halved because of the corruption, because... She has to provide for her three young children. And so she was able to get a job across here because what's going on in Greece means dentists and doctors are being fired. They're closing hospitals. Uh, there's no work. And she came and, and she um, stayed uh, with the Christians in the congregation here. And we met with her and she was at our fellowship group. And she told us of how God had worked in her life and how she'd become a Christian and what was going on, and instantly, she was our sister. There was no, and it was interesting because the boss that she's going to work for 
couldn't understand why she came to Scotland and wasn't staying with a Greek family and wasn't in a Greek Orthodox church and that there were people who she didn't know who gave her hospitality. Why? I've never met any Scottish people like that. Because it's not about being Scottish or about being Greek. It's about us being brothers and sisters in the Lord, and we care for one another. And the biggest thing we can do, hospitality is really important, but the biggest thing that we can do is to pray for one another. And that is hugely vital in, in where we are at. Sometimes I, I, there are some of you here who've said to me, oh, David, I can't do this. I can't. There's lots of things that I can't do. I will tell you this, there isn't a single person here who can't pray, and that is the most important thing that you will ever do in this church, is to pray. And I think that's wonderful when you can sit with an atlas, when you can sit with a newspaper, when you can read letters, when you can hear of encouraging or discouraging situations, and you can pray. That we can pray for our brothers and sisters in Italy, and in Greece, and in Sudan, and in Senegal, and in places that we've never even heard of, but then we hear about and we can pray for them and pray for one another. Let me say also in terms of prayer, without prayer, we are far too feeble and far too flabby to fight the spiritual warfare that we need to. It's a bit like your lungs. Um, Coming out of hospital, one of the things that hasn't quite recovered 100% is, is my lungs, and I notice that when I cycle up Nine Wales Bray or Balgay Hill or something like that, that <gasps> you're, you're, cause, but as you get more and more used to using your lungs, then um, that comes back. I think prayer is like the air with, that we breathe, and some of us get very, very breathless in prayer very, very quickly because we're just not used to doing it, because we fall out of the way of doing it. And we need to to heed what is being said here, that we are alert and we're always keeping on praying for all the saints. Let me just throw in something else here. I find this a little bit of a puzzle, and I'm not, I, I, I don't know the answer to this, and I'm not having a go at people, but can you work this one out for me? If in our fellowship groups we say we're having a Bible study, you're almost inevitably getting far more people than if you say you're having a prayer meeting. Now, why is that the case? You know, maybe this is guesswork on my part, but I think with a Bible study, it's almost as though we feel that we're kind of in control and we can be a bit detached about it. But prayer is so much more intense and so much more personal that I suspect that we're just a little bit frightened of prayer. And maybe, I don't know if if, if that's the reason, but I've noticed that with almost anything, that... uh, In a church service, you can say, we're just going to meet for prayer, and half the people you would normally expect to come will come. Why? Now, I ask that because actually I don't really have the answer to it, and I find myself, I I can fall into that trap as well. I put a quote up there from Jim Phillip, where he's speaking about our life as a prayer to God, and he says, prayer is really the end product of the work of discipline in the soul by the Word and by the Spirit of God. If we open ourselves unreservedly to the discipline of God's Word, that will make us into praying men and women. I think Word, God's Word, and prayer will go together. That the Bible helps you to pray, the Bible inspires you to pray, the Bible encourages you to pray. And equally, when you pray, 
The Bible is opened up to you. You understand the Bible better. You know the Bible better. Let me make a challenge here to anyone who's not a Christian. You say, I don't get this Christianity. Well, it's a spiritual thing, and I would suggest you do this. I challenge you to pray, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your Word. It's a prayer from the Psalms. Pray that prayer and then read God's Word, asking God to enlighten you, and you'd be amazed at what happens. And then the last couple of verses, verses 19 and 20. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I'll fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I think Paul here gives an example of prayer, and he's saying to the Ephesians, look, you're a Christian community, you're a new group of people, you're meeting together, you're eating together, you're sharing together, you're hearing God's Word together, you're living in a, in a dark world, but you're living as salt and as light. And he says, you take on this armor, you need this spiritual armor, the devil is busy attacking all the time, you need the spiritual armor, you need prayer, and so do I, so would you please pray for me? I think that's why Paul brings this in here. But, you'll notice in terms of the prayer that when Paul says, pray for me, it's not really about himself, but it's about the kingdom. And that's a crucial thing in prayer. There is a very me attitude to prayer, isn't it? If you sit down, if you actually wrote out your prayers, what would they be saying? Lord, give me this. Lord, give me this. Lord, give me this. Lord, grant me this. Lord, I'm worried about this. And it does become a wish list about ourselves. But I think we've learned to pray when we're praying, your kingdom come. That our concern is primarily not about ourselves, it doesn't exclude ourselves, but it is about the kingdom of God. And after that, then the personal need comes. Because if you pray, if you have a prayer life which is preoccupied with yourself, you know what happens is it leads to morbidity. All you do is end up talking to yourself about yourself. You're not really talking to God. You know, that's even the case with temptation. One of the worst things sometimes you can do with temptations is pray about them. I know that sounds daft, but sometimes you can pray and then just leave it. But we're, sometimes we're constantly praying about the temptations and the difficulties that we face, and we focus our attention upon them when we need to get a much, much bigger picture. Um, it's going to be a proper Christmas this year because there's going to be a Lord of the Rings film. Uh, the Hobbit Part 1 is going to be out and... Uh, already just really, really looking forward to it. And, uh, <clears throat> but that, the Lord of the Rings, if you don't know the Lord of the Rings, you really should. It's, 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 every Christian should know the Lord of the Rings. No. But no, the Lord of the Rings is great. And the great thing in Lord of the Rings is you've got these wee hobbits who, interestingly, are played by Scots people, uh, but you've got these wee hobbits who are, who are, I mean, who are they against, you know, the, the, the orcs? You know, who are they against the, the great Sauron and so on? They're just wee guys who'd be quite happy at home, drinking their beer, working in, in, in their, their wee village. But they get, take part in this, in this great battle. I'll not spoil it for you. It does have something to do with rings. But uh, it's, it's so worth seeing if you've not seen. But one of the themes that comes across in that book is it's not about the survival of Frodo and Sam. It's not primarily about their survival. It's about the greater thing. 
There's one scene where um, the wise wizard basically is saying, if we die, we die. There's something beyond this. There's something greater. And we really need to pray in such a way that we realize that there is something far greater going on here. So, yes, we pray, Lord, help me with my problem, but one of the problems that we have is we need to see things in a much wider context. And that, incidentally, is why it's so good to pray together. That's why it's really good to share. When you're in a a small prayer group, and smaller generally tends to be better, you will find that you will share something. It's not something you particularly want broadcast with everybody else, but you will share something and people can pray for you because they can empathize with you and they can identify with you. I think that's the value of things like prayer triplets. You're praying about, you're praying for other people, you're praying for their situations. You're getting involved as well in the bigger battle. There's a psychological aspect to this as well. Greater fear drives out the lesser fears. Anthony Beaver in his book on the Spanish Civil War records how after its outbreak, the psychiatric clinics were basically emptied. Why? Because the greater anxieties got rid of the lesser anxieties. And sometimes when you can earnestly pray for, for example, um, brothers and sisters in the Sudan right now who are facing persecution, then it somehow helps you. It helps you you yourself in your own difficulties and personal problems. Christ prayed for Peter. Satan has desired to have you, but I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Paul knew his own need for strength. He was humble enough to ask his friends to pray for and with him. When Paul wrote this, he was under house arrest. He was in chains. Soldiers were chained to him by shifts, and he had to witness to them all. If you read in Acts 28, 17, or Acts 23, uh, or sorry, 28, 23 to 24, Acts 28, 30 to 31 as well. You find Paul there under arrest in chains, and yet boldly and without hindrance, he preached the Word of God. Was Paul some kind of superhuman? Was Paul not afraid that he was in chains? Was Paul not scared that he was going to lose his life? I'm sure he was afraid, and I'm sure that he was scared, but I'm equally sure that as the church in Ephesus and the church in Colossae and the church in Thessalonica and the church in Jerusalem prayed for him in his chains, that he was emboldened to speak the Word of God. The word here is a Greek word, parousia, to be outspoken, to be frank, to be plain. There's a wrong kind of outspokenness. There's a rudeness and an aggressiveness which some of us can easily cultivate. But my goodness, has the church in Scotland lost its tongue how weak we have become, how scared of offending people we have become. The lack of courage is incredible. Paul asks here, pray for me that I would have clarity, that I would have boldness, that I would obscure nothing by muddled speech, nor hide anything by cowardly compromise. 2 Timothy 1.7, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Just a question, but when did you and I last pray for boldness instead of protection? Lord, protect me, protect me, protect me. How about, Lord, give me boldness, wisdom? Some preachers are great communicators. It's just they've got very little to communicate. Others 
as John Stott says, are as bold as lions. They fear nobody and omit nothing, but what they say is confusing and confused. And Stott says this, clarity without courage is like sunshine in the desert, plenty light but nothing to look at. Courage without clarity is like a beautiful landscape at night, plenty to see but nothing to see it with. Paul speaks of being an ambassador in chains, and he's playing on words because the chains, the word that he uses for chains is a word that rich people would use for the chains of office or the chains of their wealth. Paul is saying, you're chains just as much as I am with my prison chains. He's saying, don't let me be hindered by office. Don't let me be hindered by wealth. Don't let me be hindered by status. So many times I've seen Christian ministers who've been put in a position of privilege and been asked to address parliament and been asked to address town councils, and they're really feared that their words will cause offense. So they water it down, and it just becomes pathetic. And Paul says, no, please, I don't want to be offensive to people, but help me to be bold. Help me to be clear. There's a great story in Scottish history of Andrew Melville, I think it was, who um, King James, from whom we get the King James Bible, uh, the first and sixth, first of England, or no, the first of England, right, and the sixth of Scotland, that uh, he was having an argument with this preacher and basically saying, I'm the king, you will do what I say. To which Melville responded, there are two kingdoms in this kingdom. Of one, you are king, the other is Christ, and of that, you are but a silly vassal. Um, silly in there means simple, as opposed to um, stupid. And, and he was saying to him, I don't care that you're a king. It's, and to me, that is speaking God's words with boldness when you know that there are consequences. Paul's great concern here is not that he would be set free, but that the gospel would be freely proclaimed, that the gospel would be set free. Against such prayers, the principalities and the powers are helpless. That's why I ask you to pray. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. Pray for all who preach. Uh, I ask personally, please do pray for me because um, I am not as courageous as people think. Sometimes it's very, very easy to hold back and to compromise on the Word of God. It's not easy. Pray that God's Word would run free. And pray not just for me, but pray for all others who are involved in communicating God's Word, for this church, for other churches, for brothers and sisters in others, other lands as well. And we will see what God does with the Word preached in the power of the Spirit, saturated by the prayers of the people of God. We live, I believe, in a very difficult and hard time. There is a famine in our land, in the nation of Scotland, of hearing the words of the Lord. It's still the word of the Lord. And let me tell you this, every single one of those tenements, every single one of the house where you stay, every single room in the halls of residence, every single person you meet at work, every 
conceivable situation that you will face tomorrow, every single person in those situations needs to hear the Word of God. And the sad thing is that the vast majority of people in Scotland have not heard the Word of God. They've heard watered-down versions. They've heard comic versions. They've heard lies. They've heard deceit. They have not rejected the gospel because they have never heard the gospel. So, please pray for those who are involved, and pray that you would have opportunities, and pray regularly for hot chocolate and for the attic, and pray regularly for Logies and City and and Central and other churches that are seeking to communicate God's Word, and pray for CMF and the Christian unions and Scripture Union, and pray that in this church that those of us who are involved in teaching would know what the Word of God is and be able to communicate it boldly, clearly, without fear. Colossians 4, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. May God bless His Word to us. I'm going to ask John if he'll come up and lead us in prayer and finish the service. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.